My name is David Hirsch, and welcome to While We Render. It's a VFX podcast where I speak to industry professionals who bring Hollywood magic to life. Today, I get to talk with an artist whose passion and commitment to excellence has allowed him to use his creative skills in many facets of the industry, ranging from augmented reality and animation to episodic visual effects. It's an absolute treat to have you on today. Gary Tang, welcome to the show. It's an honor to be here, David. I'm loving what you're doing with this podcast, and I'm so honored to be part of this. You're one of the first names I thought of when I was thinking of people I want to talk to and people with varied backgrounds. And it leads me directly into my first question for you. Your story is unique and it may serve as a beacon to some as you served in the United States Marine Corps before getting into VFX. Can you tell us about how you went from a martial arts instructor training and testing out over 200 Marines to earning a scholarship to the Art Center College of Design and later attending Noman School of Visual Effects? Yeah, so I joined the military. I I think I... Even as a young kid, I've always loved art. I've been, I would draw on the side to as something to do for fun. I'd done that throughout my life, but uh, I grew up in China, actually. In China, they don't promote the artistic upbringing of children. So it, they think that, I think the idea is kind of changing now, but back then artists don't really make money. So Asian parents kind of don't want their kids to go that route. So growing up, I've always done that in a hobby, but like my parents never took me to school or um, really focused on that. It was after I came to the U.S. and um, I started to, it, it, I kind of found the love and passion for it going through high school. I learned it qu- kind of quickly because I realized I'm not good at anything else. I wasn't really good at math or uh, science. My other grades were failing. I wasn't really getting into good college. And at the time, the idea was um, I'm pretty good at drawing, so I'm going to try to get into Art Center. Art Center was like the best school at the time, Art Center in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. So I applied there after only taking like two art classes at my high school, but obviously I didn't get in. My portfolio was uh, uh, pretty bad. So didn't really, it wasn't looking very good at the time. I was uh, going to community college, but I was only taking a class, maybe two classes, and I was working almost full time at Starbucks, trying to move out. So the money making from Starbucks wasn't really sustaining my uh, you know, li- living. So something has to be changed. And I wasn't really making any progress in community college. Ultimately, I think I liked discipline at the time. Whichever route I was going down wasn't really looking too promising. Right. I was, you know, it's like working part-time jobs, taking one or two classes, pretty much like not living a very carefree life, but progressing very slowly. Eventually- How old were you around this time? This was 19, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right after high school, I didn't get, I, I, I tried to get him to one of the UCs to major in business, but I didn't get in. So the idea was to hop around and come into college until, <laughs> until I get accepted or transferred. Right. It was, the, yeah, it was then that I realized that this wasn't working out for me. I needed something different. And um, that's when the post 9-11 happened where they were they were putting all these incentives for you to join the military like the post 9-11 GI Bill so they changed it at the time where it used to be after you join the military you come back you you're honorably discharged you come back and they pay for your school for four years but now 
at the time, uh, they changed it. They needed more people to go to war. So they, they changed it to, we're not only pay for your school, we'll also pay for your living, your cost of living, like we'll pay for your rent and food. So the idea was, yeah, I'll do four years of the military and I'll come back and I'll pay for all my education. So kind of, I, I went into the Marine with that kind of mindset. Also, I was 19 years old. I was kind of like, uh, uh, young and naive at the time. So I joined the Marine because the uniform looked really cool. And then the recruiter <laughs> kind of talked me into it. Like, you want to be a badass, so you want to join the best branch. That's how I got into the Marine. <laughs> While you were in the military, did you have goals that were rooted in a career there? Or did you know that, I mean, before you got in, it sounds like you were very artistically minded and artistically driven. Yeah. But did that change when you were in the military? It did. Uh, military was kind of like a mind wipe. After the after boot camp, all I wanted to do was 20 years in the military. I wanted to rank up. In, and then my career goal changed where to I just wanted to stay 20 years. It, it was later. It was maybe two, two years later. Um, so my first two years was in the Marine. I was um, I was working at supply. I was a fiscal clerk. I dealt with budgeting and stuff like that, buying and selling stuff for the battalion. Uh, we were at 29 Palms, which is a training base. It's also the hottest base in the US. This is where we do all the training for uh, other like Army, uh, Air Force, Navy, everyone that deploys to the Middle East, they have to condition themselves at 29 Palms before they deploy because it's so hot there, it's almost like wow. similar to in the Middle East. Wow. I had to be there for four years, so it wasn't it wasn't fun. So you don't complain about heat much anymore. No, after that, everything else is kind of like a treat. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, so two years in, I started getting, um, I started heavily investing into martial art training because it was just something to do. The mil while you're in the military, anything extracurriculum is pretty much free. I was able to take community college. I actually got my associate degree while in the military because, uh, oh. yeah, every, if you want to take classes, it's free regardless. If you're active duty, they'll just give you um, whatever classes and they'll cater to you too. The class, the school I was taking was at Ashford University at the time. And a lot of the time, the professor, would, I would tell the professor, hey, we have training at this time. I'll be gone for a week for field training. And they'll say something like, oh, no problem. We totally get you just enough, finish the homework, do the test when you come back. That's they'll great. work around you, which is very cool. So two years in, I started getting really heavily into martial arts. I, I was really gung-ho about like the physical stuff. I started doing training for my shop, the people I work mm -hmm. with, the, the, the team. And then I started gaining a belt level until I got to a point where I had, it was either become a trainer trainer, or just stick to my old job. I really like teaching and I wanted to bring more to the table than just my daily physical color duties. So I became an instructor too. And then I started just teaching classes and I didn't get uh, in the military when you take on these extra duties, you don't get extra pay or anything. It's kind of that you do it because you want to, you do it to like um, help out other people. As service. Yeah, you also look good because it looks like you're someone that want to do more, that want to take on responsibility. So yeah, I really got, I really liked it. I really liked the idea of uh, 
uh, teaching. Um, I think I enjoyed that a lot more. And then I think for, and then I did that for two years while still doing the fiscal duties in my regular uh, Marine job. Did that for, at the end of my four year, I came to this realization that what I, I joined the military to, to gain like structure for my life, uh, to gain discipline. And I, I didn't think that I was gonna make anything else after four years, I gained enough confidence to, I guess, go, I guess after all the hard stuff I have to do in the military, like boot camp and getting through and get climbing up the ranks and uh, these accomplishments in the military and also had great mentors that taught me not only like on my day to day, but like they were father figures in a way. And uh, I grew up without a father figure, so having that, having that mentorship really helped me gain that confidence to do what, go back to what I really do like. It was a really hard decision for me. Um, I honestly, I, I was like, I almost stayed. I almost stayed, and if I did, I would have just went down that path, and that would have just been a career because in the I already put forward four years years in, if I put another four years, that's eight years. And that's, that's half, I, I might as well just retire from there then cause I'm already halfway in. Right. Right. So it was either, I had a choice. It was either a life in the military or a life pursuing some, something that I really liked, which is uh, art. Did you find yourself sketching in the military? Like, did you have a notepad with you? Uh, just in the barracks or wherever you were? Or did you kind of truly put that aside while you were in the military? I truly put that aside. I actually had a, a coworker, uh, a fellow Marine, uh, Corporal Brown, back in the day. He was really good at drawing. He was the one that's actually doodling, and he was drawing really amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of inspired me to do that, too. I actually I never did because I'm kind of the person that goes all in. Right. To me, I felt like if I go back into the art and I don't go all in, that's kind of like betraying myself in a sense. Back then, I was all in into like the martial arts stuff. That's why. From the Marines, how did you find yourself, you know, sitting in a Nomen class not too long after? Uh, yeah, that's another funny story. I actually didn't even know about Nomen or the world of visual effects. I was really trying to get into like concept art. I didn't even know what I was, what I wanted to do at the time, really. I, I kind of wanted to get into the school and then learn from the school. My circle is like mostly military guys who has no idea. Like, it's not like, oh, art school. So after I got out of the military, I moved back. I moved back to Pasadena. Pasadena is where the art center is. Mm-hmm. So I, I figured if I'm around there, eventually I'm going to get in. The, we surround ourselves with, you know, and um, I went to PCC, which is a community, uh, Pasadena City College, community college at the time. Uh, it, I was just taking individual art classes to build my portfolio to get into Art Center. Mm-hmm. Brett Bailey, a great friend of mine I met at the time, he went to Art Center and he told me not to go there. <laughs> it was like, uh, a lot of people aren't, because Art Center um, focused mostly on, they have a big illustration field, but their main fields are automotive. So like uh, transportation design. Mm-hmm. and industrial design and concept design. 
those are really hard to get in. I didn't get into those. I got kind of suckered into illustration department because they do this as a backup offer. Hey, we want to keep these fields really tight, small because they're like the they're what the school is known for. But if you don't get in, we still want your money. So it's funnel you into this uh, other department, right? The illustration illustration is like huge, right? So he gave me. Um, he talked to me. He talked me out of it. He, he, I, I got a huge scholarship too. Um, something something around like fifty grand, but that's actually nothing compared to the actual cost of the school. Fifty grand will only cover maybe one term at Art Center. It is. It's more expensive than USC by far. That expensive. Yeah. It, oh, oh man, I was really studying the the price at the time. I think it was like eighty grand per term. There's twelve terms. Uh, uh really ten term. Yeah, ten terms. Twelve terms for entertainment design. Wow. So the GI Bill wouldn't even cover half of that. It's covered like a third. So it was I was facing financial issue and my friend was telling me that the placement rate was really low. Like cause there there are just not that many jobs, even now, uh, and especially more in the future, there's not gonna be a lot of illustration jobs. Yeah. It's just, it's uh everyone wanna be an illustrator and there's too many people that all work for free. And even then the competition, they're pumping out like thousands of you know, illustration students every year. And there's like a hundred jobs. Yeah. Uh, market out there in LA. Yeah. So he, he was doing 3D at the time and he was getting a lot of uh, a lot of jobs. So I was kind of following his footstep. And he told me that it was his regret that he went to Art Center and not Noman. So he told me, learn from my mistake, do what I should have done. So I did. I took his advice and I went to Noman and I used the same portfolio I did for Art Center and I submitted to Noman and I got in and oh my God, the, the first day I walked on their campus, I knew this is it. This is because they had like, they had all the stuff that they had Blizzard stuff. They have all the game stuff that they worked on, all the people that graduated that went on to work on movies. Yeah. I didn't know, but this is what I was actually looking for. Like, And you're walking onto like a film lot. Exactly. Like I wanted to do this. I always thought I wanted to do something else, which is like drawing and concepting stuff. And then when I walked down to Noman, I was like, whatever they're doing here, I'm, I'm here, I'm doing this. So that was kind of like a game changer for me. And yeah, that's how I got into Noman. That's awesome. I remember when I first got to Noman just to visit for a seminar, I think. I just remember walking through, like, through the gates and you kind of have the, the rooms on each side. Yeah. I was like, I want to go here so badly. But I was already in the industry at the time. But I was still like, yeah. craving go being a student again and going to Nomen and uh, getting some, yeah. getting taught there by industry professionals. I went back after I graduated, too. Um, a lot of people go back. Even when I was going through my two-year courses at Nomen, I went through the two-year um, entertainment design course, courses. As I was going through that, a uh, third of the class would be occupied with industry professionals that's already working. I was sitting next to a soup one time. Uh, I forgot. <laughs> it was, uh, I was like, dude, it's, uh, and as a student, it's very, it's kind of scary. It's intimidating. And I think that the kind of pressure is very good. The kind of pressure is fantastic. Like you're surrounded by industry, you're work, studying alongside, being taught. You're surrounded by industry professionals, which is, what you want which is what you're paying the money for oh yeah yeah a lot of school can provide that a lot of school will just have a class full of students 
when you make the industry professional in there, when you make somebody that's already working there, it changes the dy dynamic. It's like, it's hard to explain, but it is two different things. I feel like it raises the bar and everyone is trying to compete with him or her still. It also brings the, it also makes it not no longer a classroom setting. It kind of, it, it kind of makes it halfway work setting half like it it puts a, lo a little bit of like realism into like oh crap it's it's real like people it's not just a school you finish and you you start working in the industry like for real i can't yeah which is a good feeling you you want that and you don't get it from a lot of schools i think it makes the feat that you took on best in class in 2017 in environment design even that much more impressive when you're working alongside supervisors and industry professionals already. Oh man, I, I did not believe I would get up on that wall. Um, when I first came in there, everything I saw on the wall, I was like, there's no way. I, my dream was just to have one piece on the wall before I leave. And I think I had, I had that, which is, uh, it was an amazing feeling. <laughs> yeah, I still can't believe it because uh, going through, I was always kind of like, I felt like I was kind of behind everyone. It wasn't until the kind of the last push where I felt like I, I was able to catch up a little. Who would you recommend Nomen to? Would it be just anyone trying to get into visual effects or is, does it cater to a certain creative mind? The thing about the creative mind is I, I, I don't think that you really need, it, it's a requirement. I think eventually, even if you're not creative, after enough practice, everyone kind of get on the same playing field. Um, it's a book called The Outlier. Uh, it, it states that your talent kind of push you forward in the beginning, but eventually uh, the time you put in the effort will be the driving force of like who, who, who is better at the end. And I think that's very true in our field. I uh, come across a lot of, like even through my years at Gnome and there, there's people that started out leagues ahead of everyone else kind of finished at, at the same level versus there are people who can move who can't open Maya in the beginning you know doing the basic stuff and finish way on top I think it's yeah all effort and sometimes even it's a work against the people that's incredibly talented it kind of make them take light of the situation makes them not push as hard I was going to say it really is the, the effort you put in is the effort you get out of it 100% and I can yeah. see someone that comes in who's conceited or complacent because they already landed a job uh they might coast a little bit more they might not push themselves as hard yeah and you see this kind of extend past school into the real uh, work field too and there, you always see those people that's uh like constantly just doing asking for more doing more and then uh you, you notice them a lot more more than people that's kind of coasting but I wouldn't say that's even coasting. I kind of want to, it's more like where you are in life. Some people want comfort and at different stage of life. I know right now I'm going to push as hard as I can because I think when, when I hit 30 or mid 30 or 40, like I'm going to slow down because it will have like, I'm going to really start focusing on parent, uh, being a parent or family and stuff like that. So I understand that like, I, there's no way I would say, you're not putting in 20, uh, 10 hours of overtime like I am, so you're not a better artist. Everyone's different. Right. Everyone's yeah. got, yeah. And I shouldn't really be doing that either because it's not really good for health, you know? Like, yeah, you gotta take care of your body too. Yeah, exactly. So from Nomen, how did you transition into your first studio, which is Blur, uh, working on Love Death Robots? 
Oh man, I had a uh, so first of all, I'm very lucky. Uh, my first job was not at Blur. I I before I get into that, a lot of people like uh, ask about like how do you first step in the how to get there. And my approach is your first job or your first few jobs is try to aim for quantity over quality. By means I I send out I use LinkedIn and I use. Indeed, Glassdoor. I, once I finished my reel, I had something to show. I had a website, and I I send it to I think a hundred different companies, hundreds. If they're they're hiring and they're within like California, I applied. You know, even like some places in Norca. So the sheer number of application, I think I I pretty much hit like the triple digit. I just every five minutes I'll I'll find a different like I just apply to everything. Within a week, I think I applied to like close to like a hundred jobs, maybe some of them not even pertaining to 3D. Some of them are like graphic design. It's kind of like I shoot for it and then see what hits. So out of that a hundred, I got, I think five responses back, five yeah. people. Yeah. That's the kind of rate you're shooting for, especially for junior straight out of school, no connections, five out of a hundred. And then I think two, I got two actual interview over the phone interview and one actually hired me so you know one percent if you really want to boil down the chances so that's how i got my first job and my first job was a uh, for a trailer for avengers infinity war crazy right they didn't tell me at the time but when i got there um was that and that's motion, where i met or? that was that motion yeah it was uh, where i met my first i guess the person that helped me the most in the industry, his name is Bruce Allen. He's a director now. He's a shout out to Bruce. He was in, he was uh, directing Borat, the second movie recently. Cool. Fantastic. Uh, Bruce Allen, he had, he took a chance on me, brought me into motion and we worked on the trailer for the first Avenger movie. And uh, I was responsible for modeling all the lettering to finish. The finishing in the trailer it goes avengers and then oh, I, i've never I had seen to, that in real yeah yeah and then they do that in the all the different languages too it was a trailer that was uh, uh i think in five six different languages uh that and then looked at and then uh some lighting stuff in uh oh i won't break it down any further than that but yeah i mean yeah ha happy to go into it uh that's <laughs> insanely cool man yeah, so that so I worked really hard on that, and Bruce Bruce was awesome. So he he was he kind of acknowledged how hard I was working, and he offered to write a recommendation letter because he couldn't keep me at the time. Mm -hmm. They were kind of on a hiring for necessity kind of basis. So once they out of work, they had to let me go. Sure. So Bruce was kind enough to write me a recommendation letter to Blur. Blur was hiring at the time, and I I was telling Bruce it's like. He was asking me, hey, where are you doing next? And I was telling him I applied to these company and Blur was one of them. I think he knew somebody there. Of course, he, he, he knows everybody, by the way. He wrote me a recommendation letter and they were kind enough to um, bring me in for an interview. Also, the guy that interviewed me at Blur, Oded, he, Snowman does this thing where they, at the end of the school year for the graduate student, they put on a show for them and all the supervisors um, a lot of supervisors from studio will come in to walk around and they took a look at these students real and they, they sometimes pick students out of there for their projects. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think I recommended to Fuse at the time and Crafty Apes um, uh, as well. It's a really great place to 
uh, like these these artists are really good. They're generalist by trade because Noman teaches you everything, like a little bit of animation, rigging, modeling, texture, lighting. So a lot of these a lot of these kids are just are good enough to just get pulled right into jobs and like like me myself at the time. Odette, he actually came to one of these things where I was showing my work and he saw me. I guess he remembered me. At, at the end of the interview, I asked like how they found how they found me or just through just a recommendation letter. And then they said that he actually uh, took a notice of me while he was walking through Nomen that day. That's so, cool. yeah. And it was also a good learning experience because you're showing your work, you're learning how to talk to all these people that, that can possibly recruit you. They had people from Blizzard at the time too, so it was a very intimidating um, process. But I learned a lot from it, and I, they, it's a great thing they do. I think it is, and it's, it really is like the premier school or academy you can go to for visual effects. And when I see that on someone's resume or see that someone has experience with them, it makes them stand out because I know how rigorous the program is and the standard is so high. Yeah, and I agree. I, I like school like Noman. They the because the teachers actually are industry professionals. I, I like hearing stuff like the teacher after end of the class, like, "Hey, I got to go back to my day job at Santa Monica and build like this Minotaur for this game," or, "Hey, you know, I I can't make this class. I, I'm putting out OT to finish God of War four or something." Like those are the kind of it's like it gets you excited. It makes that dream attainable. Exactly, and when students want to hear that, they don't want to hear, uh, they want to hear stuff like that. They want to hear life in the industry to a student. It's so exciting because every, when you're when you're that young, when you're that hungry, and then you look up to pretty much everybody that working in the industry, you want to know what their life is like. Oh, you go to bars after work too. You go to over, you guys are stressed over time. You know. So how how did working at Blur just differ from on Love Death Robots? I should say differ from the project workflow at Nomen? Well, Nomen is actually, Nomen try very hard to kind of teach you in a setting where it kind of resembles what, how you're doing in the industry, what you're doing in the industry, but it's still broken down to like class specifics. Um, it's, it's like the industry as in the teacher is essentially your supervisor, you're assigned uh, you know, it's a ten, during a ten, ten course, ten week course, you're assigned a project to do. Kind of like in the, if you're working for a studio, you have a deadline of like maybe two months to work on like a hero project, and that's what Nomen is. It's like you pick your hero project on the second week, and then the teacher will kind of guide you through the rest of the week until you kind of finish it to a production or production like level. The the teacher will not only show you like. Um, how to get there to also give you creative feedbacks, like kind of like notes you'll get from your supervisors. And if you're going through the two-year program, they kind of bring you through the whole production pipeline. I went through the generalist track. So through that, I had to go from the very beginning from modeling and texture, and then you had to, you had to model it and then texture and then look at it, rig it, animate it, light it, uh, comp it, we also learn comp and tracking. So, man, that's that's the whole pipeline. Yeah, that mirrors exactly the episodic pipeline I know. Exactly. Uh, so I want to jump ahead a little bit to your time at Encore. Um, you did a lot of characters and creature work there. 
especially under the episodic constraints that, you know, limited time, limited budgets. Out of all the creatures and characters you worked on there, what, which was your favorite to work on and why? So the favorite character I worked on is uh, Amazo. He's the villain for the crossover in 2019, I think. In DC, in DC comic, Amazo is this uh, anti-Superman kind of machine. Oh, he's kind of like... I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Vision, but he's a cyborg that takes the power from everyone else. He takes uh, Flash's speed. He takes Superman's strength. He takes Supergirl's flight and like wind breath and stuff like that. So I had to model this robot, and it's my favorite because uh, the concept was done by our concept artist there, Justice. Justice Joseph, who did the concept on this. And uh, I, it was the first he, kind of hero asset I take it from the scratch to finish. Joseph did the concept, I did the model and retopo and then clean it up and then textured it and UV'd it. It was very complex too. This this robot stretches, which is really hard from a modeling perspective. That's hard to sell. Yeah, because he, he took the power of uh, the flexible man from Flash, the, the guy that stretches. So after he took that power, his arm stretches, the leg stretches. So the geometry, we have to do, do the geometry to make it deform that way and still look good. And then the texture still have to hold up when he stretch. When he stretch. He's also got all these pipes feeding through his body that's rotating constantly. Um, a lot of challenges in that. And then problem solving it through and then ultimately making it work. I think that's what makes it, made it the most fun project for me. That's really cool. Do you have any advice for those looking to get faster at character creation, especially those wanting to get into TV episodics to work on characters like that, uh, where the pace can be incredibly quick though? So you need to learn the fundamentals. Once you have the fundamentals, kind of like the ZBrush, the anatomy, topology fundamentals and UV, and then you can really dive into the detail of it. In a, in a studio setting, you'll ne almost never create a character from scratch. I had never done that. I've been a character artist my whole career. I've never created a character from scratch. Every studio will kind of have like that 60 man you can work from and then you work from there. If you have to create something from scratch, um, mo most of the time for characters, you just don't because you'll be too time consuming. It's only like the absolute hero that you have to build from scratch. Very important to working episodic about the character artist is t taking something that's already half done and then completing it. Learning how to converting convert stuff back and forth. A lot of time, like I said, you're not building if you're not building stuff from scratch. Most of the time, you're taking something that somebody else made or using existing texture patterns, which we do a lot. It's like one skin texture, and then you just kind of paint details of different people on them. Learn to reuse these assets as much as you can. This was. Uh, extremely speed up your workflow and also uh, try to not do the same thing twice because you can if you're doing the same thing twice you probably there's probably a way to automate it so you can focus on different things so you're no stranger to the animated world especially with your experience at blur yeah, but you went on to work at dreamworks animation on jurassic world camp cretaceous and fast and furious spy racer for example both available on netflix by the way since you worked in both industries and each present unique challenges, could you tell our audience some of the bigger differences you noticed between working in animation and VFX? Yeah, so VFX is more hands-on. You'll be talking to a lot of people or people 
on a daily basis. Some people like that and some people don't. Some people like to be just left alone and do their work. Some people like to communicate back and forth. I like to communicate back and forth a lot because I, I learn that way. I get to pick people's brain. I get to, get to know people that way better. In empathetic, you're definitely doing that because people are expecting more stuff from you and then everything is turned around at a quicker pace. Versus in animation, we were kind of left alone. As a modeler at DreamWorks, I'm only modeling. I'm not even doing texture. I'm not doing lighting. I'm only focused on modeling. So my immediate team is very small and I don't need to talk to anybody else. The, the difference is they have, the, the departments are so huge. So each department kind of only do one thing. As to episodic, oftentimes you're doing, you're wearing two or three hats. Um, and like yeah. Crafty Apes, we, we, we like generalists a lot. And the reason is they don't have enough project for like if you're only doing character when they're out of character they have to pay you to sit around right so they they like it more if you can wear more hats so when you're idle we'll give you some more stuff to do and that way you can be more overall and well-rounded as well uh, i guess that's episodic and then back to animation you really hone on that one specific uh, one specific skill when I was at DreamWorks, I kind of had to relearn topology. I, I thought I, I knew topology pretty well. I thought I knew UV pretty well. And then my, I, they kind of put me through a boot camp there. Uh, shout out to Rex. Shout out to Yiman. Awesome, awesome guys. And they were kind of my mentor at the time. Retaught me how to do UV. Retaught me how to do topology, the DreamWorks TV style, which is still by far, all, all the studios I've been to, they do, they do the best like cleanest work that that's allowed because they also you know have more time to work on these things right they really hone down like if you're a modeler at DreamWorks, you're a really good modeler because that's all you do you're a modeler as i prepared for this episode one project in particular stood out to me in 2020 you had the chance to work on an augmented reality project for league of legends world opening ceremony first could you tell us what is ar and then how did you get involved with this project? Yeah, absolutely. So I got AR is uh, augmented reality. When we do when we do stuff in post, we already have the footage, the the video is already taken, and we're adding stuff onto green screen, or we're adding stuff onto the already taken footage. When we're doing AR, the footage is live. You're actually adding in 3D stuff while they're performing, and this is usually done during like events like football or concerts and stuff where they don't they're not gonna have green screen on this. AR took off in a huge way during the pandemic because all concerts and any kind of like events are shut down. I was also unfortunately furloughed at the time. So Nathaniel Nathaniel is a producer that kind of brought me on this uh, project. Nathaniel Horton, shout out to Nathaniel. Awesome, awesome producer. He was, he, he, him and I worked at Encore together, which is kind of where he know me as a good uh, modeler, asset artist. And I was really learning Unreal at the time. I was showing my work and he's like, hey, I see you've been doing Unreal. I have this project coming up. I think your skill set might be compatible with this. And then I said, okay, I'm furloughed anyway. So I have a couple months to spare. Let's do this. And then he told me what it was actually about, and I was like, "Oh, let me rethink this because we had to go. We had to go to, I had to go to Shanghai to uh, shoot it there. It's a live stage, and it was during the pandemic, so it was like we have to work in the two-week quarantine, a lot of complications. 
yeah. But ultimately, I said, yes, let's do this. We, we flew down there, uh, we wore our masks the whole time. And um, yeah. And it's a really cool experience. Yeah, we were there for a month, uh, two weeks of quarantine, and two, rushed everything in the last two weeks. You spent about a year and a half with FuseFX until quite recently, actually. And during this time, you worked on a long list of projects, including the Orvo, uh, SWAT, Snowpiercer, Outer Banks. I can name a, quite a few more. But during your time of Fuse as a generalist, what were some of the bigger challenges you faced and how did you overcome them? <laughs> I think some of the bigger challenges, Snowpiercer is one uh, very challenging project. We got this huge asset from another studio. We kind of have to, we got, we got like a puzzle box. We have to unpuzzle um, it and then we can, and then we can actually use it. I was doing the asset conversion for the big Alice stream. So there's some pressure on, on me to see if there's, uh, we can actually make this work. Um, that, I had a lot of help from uh, everybody, uh, Sari, um, she helped me a lot uh, on that project. And I think with the, and then the other challenge I think was crowd, which then Adam helped me a lot. I think if you just ask questions, you were willing to ask questions and not look stupid. Uh, I, I have no problem doing that. So I think for me, it was really easy to get people's help. It's almost, I asked them so much questions on these things that I'm not sure about. It almost turned into like a group project and all in the end, I always kind of even feel bad about how much time I'm taking from them. But yeah, when you don't know something, you gotta ask, you gotta ask for help or. Well, especially when you're jumping into projects where you don't know the program, like you, you were learning Gollum uh, with the help yeah. of crowd TD Adam Broad, but not only are you learning a new program, you also have a deadline. And sometimes on some of these projects, you have an air date even where you cannot push. So how do you deal with that stress when you're in the, in the middle, in the thick of it? Um, I think for me, it was easier. Uh, stress has been, I had practice with stress because of the military, I think. The military background helped me a lot in, the, in my artist career because it brought in a lot of structure and it's also kind of like in the Marines, you, you learn this phrase called embrace the suck. Just do all the things that you hate. So when you have to do them, you can just do them at ease. Like people that hate running, go run. Eventually you conquer and you enjoy running. This is the same with learning new things. It's hard and you don't want to do it. But once you force yourself to do it enough, it becomes easier. And I... It's kind of a mentality I had since the military. So I, when I'm not working, I'm constantly, I'll write down stuff. Like when I'm at work and I have a question about Golem, I have a lot of questions about Golem. I don't want to bother Adam, Adam Bro, shout out to Adam Bro. Awesome, awesome Golem TD, this guy. So I don't want to, if I don't want to bug him too much, I'll write it down and then that night I'll probably look at look look up on it on my own time. Luckily nowadays everything you can learn from pretty much YouTube. I have hundreds of tabs in YouTube from stuff I'm just that I'm trying to look up well stuff I'm warning about during the work that I just look up uh, later on. And if you write it down, it'll help you remember. Uh, a lot of these stuff I used to not write it down. I used to think if it bothers me enough, I'll research it. But then it became it, it got to the point where I have to, a lot of time I'm looking up the same thing over and over again because I don't write it down. And I found that once I write it down, I remember it better. 
it kind of saves time in the long run. There's YouTube videos I looked up four or five times because I just, I don't write it down. I just keep re-looking it up every time. That's right. I, I When I was looking into your pages, I noticed that you had a journal that you kept with you for three plus years or so. Yeah. Was that the main benefit? Was it work-based or was that also kind of a personal uh, journal as well? It was a uh, work-based and personal journals. Um, I, I I used to take it everywhere with me when we were we weren't we weren't remote. It had a list of uh, very important stuff like my information, going information, stuff that I had a question about and then I resolved it. So I would just write it down. That way, I would never like I I tried to keep it in a way where I don't have to redo work. Keep looking at stuff that I already solved before. Right, uh, just remembering it. Once I resolve something, don't forget it again. So right, I, I found that, I found what helped me the most was, uh, first you resolve the problem, and then you kind of remember how to how you resolved it. But a lot of time you're so busy, you're on to the next thing. You don't really bother to jot it down mentally and really, really store it. So I found that if I resolve something and I'll write it down, it kind of repeats the information. It'll stick in my brain a little better. And then the triple threat, at the end of the day, I'll look over my notes one last time so I remember it once again. And then usually after that, it sits in the brain pretty well. And I, rec I can recall it a year from now or something like that. That's really, it's pretty amazing actually. Yeah, but if I can't, I always have that notebook and I'll come across it, I'll read through it uh, once in a while and um, it'll kind of refresh my brain. I have it with me right here. Like, for, for example, some of the stuff I write down, like, or Natrix, how to start, uh, how to start like uh, hair grooming first, you duplicate the character, add poly edit, blah, blah, blah. Like a lot of these are just like steps of how to start on something. That's gonna be so fun to look back at. And especially as technology is kind of growing and that's gonna become an outdated knowledge almost. Uh, it's just going to be able to look back and like, oh, this is what we were doing then. This is the methodology we were using then. Yeah. I, I think uh, taking notes is kind of like I, I used to screenshot a lot. And like this is a personal thing. A lot, I know screenshotting and noting on the computer is a lot faster. And it works well for a lot of people. But for me, the problem with me is if I screenshot it, I'm not going to look at it. It just sits in a file on my computer. But if I have a physical book there, like... <laughs> I'm gonna look at it, I'm gonna flip through it. It's just kind of like there's food on the table, you'll eat it, but if you know it's in the fridge, it, like- it takes a little bit of work to get to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, for me, that's for me, but everyone is different, so you could give that a try, but don't, it might not work for you. Uh, something that's always impressed me about you, Gary, is not only your passion for your work, but also for your commitment to build up those around you. You're the definition of a team player, and you're an absolute joy to work with. From your days as a martial arts instructor in the military to your tutorials for those with a VFX and film background, I can't help but notice you're always leading others. Where does this innate desire to teach and raise up your peers come from? I really appreciate you saying that, David. And uh, <laughs> I, I think um, I really appreciate you saying that, really. I think a lot of it is from, uh, again, I have to attribute it back to the military. I had so many good figures in the military. In the Marines, there's there's a lot of good, strong leaders, 
they're all leaders really every every marine it's like a good leader outside of work because every day you're you're in you repeat it over and over all these leadership traits and then you you live in these kind of uh hierarchy structure where everyone above you is a leader and is trying to lead you in a way in the military at any given time you have like 10 20 bosses or higher ups in that sense because no matter what rank you are there's like all these people above you at any given time can give you notes. So you learn to hold yourself responsible and also hold those below responsible. You kind of live and learn in this hierarchy way. It's like I, people above me help me and guide me. I guide people below me. Because I had I received so much unconditional guidance and people were helping me along the way in my career, in the military and out, like the, what Bruce did for me and what a lot of other artists did for me, giving writing me recommendations and just putting good words for me. And I think that kind of made me want to do the same. Knowing it's a small community, people say this a lot. It's being repeated a lot. Don't be somebody that you don't want to work with in the industry and make yourself approachable because you don't learn on your own. Like like I said, all these projects, I never would have finished on my own. It's not for Sari, David, support from other people that's far more knowledge than me. So I think maybe it's in a way paying it forward but it's uh also learning all these things you know when you teach somebody something you you learn you yourself learn this a lot faster the best way to learn is to teach if i put on a course like what i learned the most when i made the course for uh to i, I did a tutorial for the how to how to build a environment in unity um i learned from making that video, I learned about Unity way more than I learned about Unity, like you know, prior to that. Because once you teach something, you you can't just say I. You do this because I saw in the tutorial, right? You have to break it down. And you can't. It, it's not a good explanation because you, to say I saw someone else do it, so I'm gonna do this. You really have to learn why they're doing this, and then breaking everything down. You, you learn you learning yourself better and this is the same in like industry i love people come to me for advice and stuff i always give it to them because when i tell them i'm listening in to, to the conversation too i'm like am i doing this maybe i should do this too as is customary with each of these episodes i want to leave you with one last question gary what is one thing you tell your younger self that you've had to learn the hard way in this industry as someone that is uh, that is hungry and trying to is hungry for knowledge, trying hungry for, you know, skill to improve their skill to make something of themselves in the industry. I think it's just to stay out of your comfort zone, because I think comfort is a killer of progress. As long as you're constantly challenging yourself, pushing forward, and learn to love the things that you do, you'll become better at it. That would be the advice I give myself. Well, Gary, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Listeners, if you haven't already, be sure to visit his page, garytang.artstation.com, to view even more of his amazing work. Gary, from working with you now at two studios to having you on the show, thanks for talking with me, man. It's been great. The pleasure is all mine, David. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about my back story a little bit, too. I really appreciate it. For more information, be sure to visit whilewerenderpodcast.com. And let us know what you've learned from this episode by leaving a comment on our Instagram at while we render podcast. 
Special thanks to Gabby Acosta for managing the equipment and Ryan Kawahara for helping produce this episode. My name is David Hirsch, and I'll catch you next time on While We Render.